For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler and today I want to talk about something with regards to the Orioles that not a lot of people have talked about this offseason and that's going to be their offense. You know, I think going back to the end of 2023 and, and the way that ended their season with the sweep at the hands of the Texas Rangers, a lot of the, the focus of fans ire, you know, as much ire as there could be after such an amazing regular season was directed at the pitching staff. Um the Orioles pitching staff was good last year. It, it was good from top to bottom. I, I think you can't really have too many crazy complaints about it, but the one that you could have is that they lacked sort of that top line starter that I feel like Orioles fans, we've been clamoring about that for as long as I can remember. I mean, it's, you know, people say since Mike Messina left um, since the Eric Bedard trade, you know, Bedard certainly on a different level than Messina, but that's been a, a perennial, uh, cry from Orioles fans for as long as I can remember is not having a top line starting pitcher. And, and, you know, some people would say, well, Kyle Bradish became that last year and he absolutely did. He, he finished what I think fourth in the Cy Young voting. And then Grayson Rodriguez was spectacular in the second half of the season after his early year uh, struggles, but they didn't have that veteran ace dude. That's been in the postseason. They just didn't get that guy. You know, they went and got Jack Flaherty at the trade deadline. And that felt like a joke of a move when it happened proved to be even worse in reality. And, um, you know, that was just a bummer. So understandably since then people have talked about, let's go get a dude, let's go get one of those guys. And they've talked about Dylan Cease, Jesus Lazardo, you know, funny, funnily enough, neither one of those guys particularly fits the bill of, you know, playoff proven starter, but obviously very talented nonetheless. And to this point that nothing has happened there. The Orioles haven't made a trade for a big name. Really none of the big names have been traded at all. Uh, Shane Bieber remains in Cleveland uh, Corbin Burns remains in Milwaukee. It just hasn't been a lot of movement there. That seems to be an issue of valuation of players. These teams that have these players think they're worth something, and the teams that want to get them uh, disagree. <laughs> so nothing has happened just yet. And then on the bullpen side, as far as pitching goes, obviously Felix Bautista out for the year with Tommy John. Craig Kimbrell, ha Craig Kimbrell has been brought in to uh, be the closer for the Orioles and then hopefully the middle innings are sorted out. They seemed a little bit better, I think, late in the year when when Tyler Wells was in there and D.L. Hall was in there. Hopefully that's sorted out, but, you know, maybe they added an arm there too. But all that to say that I understand why the pitching is the focus there. That's been something the Orioles have talked about for a long time. We're finally at the point where the team is good. The pitching is solid and could just use that one more piece, and we just haven't gotten it yet. So I get it. But so I wanted to talk about something that nobody's nobody's talked about much, which is their their offense. And you know, the Orioles offense, this is not going to be an episode about the Orioles need to overhaul the offense. Of course, that's a, that'd be a ridiculous thing to say. I sort of just wanted to talk about the offense, lay it out, see where it's at, and maybe ask some questions about where it could potentially improve from outside talent being injected, which is something the Orioles are appearing unlikely to do. So first, I wanted to, to lay the ground of where the Orioles finished in 2023 with regards to their offense. And and this is all rankings in the American League. So just 15 teams out of 15 teams is where the Orioles finished. So finished fourth in runs scored. That's good. Reminder, the Orioles won 101 games last year, which was the best in the American League. 
fourth in the American League in runs scored. Okay, pretty good. Eighth in on-base percentage, seventh in slugging, sixth in batting average, if you're a batting average fan, seventh in weighted on-base average, ninth in home runs, and then seventh in F4, Fangraph's measurement of war. And, and some of their top performers were, you know, Adley Rushman with his 375 on base, Gunnar Henderson with his team-leading 28 home runs and 100 runs scored, plus his 489 slugging. Anthony Santander tied him with 28 home runs, also led the team with 95 RBI, and then had his 472 slugging. And then Austin Hayes was fourth on the team with a 112 weighted runs created plus, which is very good. 100 is average. 112 is 12% above average. So those are kind of your key four guys for the Orioles last year. You know, that kind of ignores injuries from Ryan Mountcastle. He was good when he was healthy, but, you know, had his his stint with vertigo and struggled a lot leading up to that. Um, So probably was dealing with it for much longer than he was on the IL. Cedric Mullins was great. Uh, in the first part of the season, then had his a pair of groin injuries that seemed to really derail him. So, you know, if you've got healthy seasons from both of them, you've got a strong six. And I think that that's, to me, what kind of stands out to that whole real quick analysis there is that they finished fourth in runs scored, despite being sixth or worse in all those other metrics, and really seventh or worse in everything except batting average. Um, not that you would expect fourth in runs to be meaning you have your fourth and on base and fourth and slut, you know, it's not how it works out all the time, but I think you would expect those numbers to be one or two higher. And, you know, given that there's only 15 teams in the AL finishing ninth in home runs means you're below average or below the median, at least in terms of home runs hit in the American league, which is not where you want to be. And I think, you know, if you're hoping in 2024 to repeat the successes of 2023, not to say that the Orioles should aim for 101 wins necessarily, but they should be aiming for a playoff spot at the worst and hopefully at the best, another, you know, AL East crown, a run for the, the AL uh, CS uh, World Series. Obviously, I think you can't hope that you're going to outperform some of those more peripheral numbers um, again in 2024. So, you know, and I think the thing that really stands out to me is the lack of power there ninth in home runs um seventh in slugging again it's it's not a bad lineup it's not that they don't have power it's not that they can't hit the ball hard it's not that they can't hit extra base hits but it's just not quite as many as you would hope for a contending team and you know it, it's anthony santander is the orioles top power hitter i mean gunner henderson probably is but i think if you think of a if you think of it in a more one-dimensional way not that santander is a one-dimensional hitter but you know what i'm saying is if you think of a guy like his role on the team is power, I think you think more Anthony Santander, whereas Gunnar Henderson, I think you look at him more as like the MVP candidate type of do it all, you know, steal bases, um, get on base, hit home runs, do everything well. It's it's just a little bit of a different role. I think you look at look at those players, Santander is the power guy on the team. Is Anthony Santander going to hit more than 28 home runs? Is, is Has he hit his peak? Is he still to reach his peak? I think what he's 28 years old going into his final year of uh, arbitration. He's set to be a free agent after the year. You know, that, that sometimes is a time where guys really turn on the jets. They know that they are going to get paid after this year. Santander is 29, by the way, this will be his age 29 season. He turned 29 back in October. Um, it's a, that sometimes is a perfect situation for a guy to hit 35 home runs, career highs and everything, and then go get, uh, you know, a five-year, $100 million deal. Like maybe that's what Anthony Santander is in for. But I think sometimes it's a lot to ask for a guy to do that in his age 
uh, 29 season. That's not really where the peak of your career is anymore. Although some people still think of 28, 29, 30 as the peak of, a, of an athlete's career. That's just really not the case anymore. It's more usually 25, 26. And we're definitely well beyond that for, for Santander. So that's the first thing is the powers not wasn't huge on the team last year. It was competitive, but not huge. And arguably your best, best power hitter got a year older and is now at an age where you're maybe not expecting him to be the guy that he always was still good, but maybe not the guy that he always was. Now the counter argument to that is okay, but we also have Rutschman and Henderson who are younger guys who you would think are ascending. And I think that's totally, totally accurate. I don't know that I think Rutschman's going to be ever a huge power guy. I think he's going to be a very, obviously Rutschman is a spectacular hitter for a catcher. He is the best hitting catcher in baseball, but that doesn't always equate to a, you know, an MVP type of hitter overall. When you look at the landscape of all hitters, I, you know, it's, it's good and, and great and it's, but it's just a, a little tier below that. So I think with Rutschman, maybe you're not expecting a ton of the power to come from him, but Henderson, I think you more are now 28 home runs is amazing. I think, especially for a rookie granted a rookie with a month of, of a uh, big league time spent in 2022. Is he going to be a 35 Homer guy? Is he a 40 Homer guy? Maybe that's a little bit too much to ask. I don't know. But again, it's it's banking on something that we haven't seen just yet. So there's a little bit of, of worry there. In addition to that, with the home runs, the Orioles, if they don't go get anybody else, which it doesn't feel like they're going to, I think, you know, Michael Elias hasn't talked about it. He's been fairly transparent about stuff. Usually you'd hear reports come out about something, even though the Orioles are, are, a, are a, um, a, a tight ship over there. They don't let a lot out to reporters. Not every team is that way. So you would think another team maybe would say something. They would say, hey, we are shopping so-and-so. And hey, to get the Yankees to sell, to, to offer more, we're going to say the Orioles are in the market for this guy. We haven't heard that. Which, you know, leads me to believe the Orioles aren't looking for hitters, which, hey, more power to you, literally. Um, they're going to rely on their internal options, which are plentiful, as we just talked about. But... A lot of those options are very young guys, not even talking about Rushman and Henderson, guys that have been in the big leagues and you would expect, you know, they get how stuff goes and let's just get better. But a lot of it's going to be even younger guys that don't have that sort of experience to lean on yet. Now I'm talking about Colton Kowser, who really struggled last year. Maybe he learned a thing or two and is going to bounce back. Heston Kerstad, who had just a little taste of the big leagues. I think it was an impressive taste. He did strike out a lot, but in general looked like a big kid at the plate knew it looked like he knew what he was doing up there. Then you're getting more into the Kobe Mayo's. Who's a guy who I think will be up at some point this year, probably not an opening day guy, but probably mid summer. If he, if he hits in triple a, I see no reason why he wouldn't be Jackson holiday, who, you know, former number one, overall pick number one prospect in baseball. You expect him to hit the ground running, you know, understandably if there's some struggles that that happens to everybody, but in general, you think he's going to figure stuff out right away, but again, it's, it's not guaranteed. Um, and, and, you know, that's just what I worry about is they're not, they're not going to make any moves, which is fine, but then it becomes a lot of weight on the shoulders of these younger guys that if 2024 is viewed as a world series run year, which why shouldn't it be? They won 101 games last year. They, for, they had all the earmarks of a team that could go really far. They didn't do that, but Who's to say they can't do it this year? Um, it, but if 2024 is viewed as the year, that's putting a lot of weight on a lot of young guys. And that's just not, 
usually what a World Series team has is four rookies that are bearing a good amount of the load uh, going into the fall classic. That's just not what it is. Now, that's all to say that just because I want 2024 to be a World Series year does not mean that Mike Elias views that as like the end-all be-all. I'm sure Mike Elias would like to go to a World Series this year. Like, I'm not going to put that on him that he's like the, um, what the Mariners GM saying he wants to win some some like 85 games a year on average. Like, I don't think that's, that, well, Mike Elias might think that. I don't think Mike Elias is going to say that. Um, I'm sure he thinks, hey, I won 101 games. This team could do it. Why not? But I also think we could do it in 2025. I think we do it in 2026, 2027. Like, I think that's more what Mike Elias is saying is like, I want to give us as many options. I want to buy five lottery tickets rather than, you know, I want to, I want to buy, I want to buy the five $10 scratchers rather than one $50 scratcher type of thing. Is that a, is that a white trash reference uh, to make or not? I don't know, but that's kind of the idea there is I, I think, um, we could win the world series in all these years. So I'm not going to just overinvest in one of the years. And I think that that's fine. I think that that's, that's a, that's a fine way to be. I think that also makes sense in conjunction with the lack of movement on the pitching front. We've understood there that the Orioles don't want to move Jordan Westberg. That's been a player that's been asked about a lot in the cease negotiations, potentially the Lazardo negotiations as well to this point. The Orioles don't want to move him. And you know what? That's understandable. I, I think Westbrook is in line to play a lot this year. There's no Adam Frazier in his way at second base, if that's where the Orioles want to play him. Um, I think they've made it clear that they view Ramon Urias as more of a bench piece that moves around the infield, depending on what the team needs that day. Um, I think Jorge Mateo is the same, where I think Mateo is going to play against lefties a good amount. And I think he's going to pinch run a lot. I think he's going to be defensive replacement a lot. But I don't think they're viewing Jorge Mateo as an everyday piece, which is fine. And I think that's accurate as well. I, I wouldn't view him that way either. So Jordan Westberg's going to get a lot of time. And he was a rookie um, this past year. So you hopefully think he's come into this, this season with some experience that he can take advantage of, start to hit a little bit better. I think his numbers were solid last year, but it was never sort of a – he never really jumped off the screen. You know, he, he didn't do the things that Henderson did. He didn't do the things that Rutschman did, which I think is fine. Not every one of these guys is going to be that way. But did he do enough to be the type of guy that you tell other teams is essentially untouchable? Um, not that they've used those words, but I, I don't know. Is he the, that kind of a guy? We'll, we'll find out. Um, so I think that's kind of like the long and the short of it is the Orioles are good right now as they stand. I think there is clearly room for them to be better offensively in 2024. But in order to do that, they would probably need to part with some of these young guys to go and get a bat of some significance because they're not going to sign a Cody Bellinger. And I understand why first the money investment of being something that to me, it just doesn't seem the Orioles are in the market to do at all, especially if ownership is in flux. Um, but second of all, it would take a long-term commitment to him as well. He's not going to sign a one-year deal for even $50 million. If he would do that, I would say, let's let's go for it. But if he wants a you know a seven-year deal, it's not something the Orioles are going to do. It, it just doesn't seem to be part of Mike Elias's uh, team-building philosophy. So they're not going to do it. And I can respect that. If, if, you're, if your philosophy is we're going to continually develop ridiculous offensive talent 
why would I spend $30 million a year on a guy that I could get this 22 year old to do similar production for $700,000? Like, okay, I, I can't really argue with the math there. Um, But so, I, you know, I, I just think that that's a, that's a balanced thing there is the, or it's maybe not even, a, it's just a, it's a difference of perspective, difference of perspective between what the front office is looking at right now and what, uh, I think the fan base would like to see. And I, I consider myself obviously a part of the fan base, which is to say, which is to be a prisoner of the moment and say, we won 101 last year. The rest of the division, I don't think has gotten that much better this off season. Um, obviously the Yankees got Juan Soto. Obviously you would expect, um, Carlos Rodon to be better for the Yankees this year. And if that's the case, then, their pitching staff just got a lot better and their lineup got a lot better. And in that situation, you know, I don't want to put a crazy number on it, but they could win 10 more games. They could win 15 more games, not just because of that, but that puts them right in contention for the division lead. Now the blue Jays, I don't think have gotten better. The blue Jays have been in, in the mix for everybody, but they haven't signed anybody. Um, the Rays have, lost Tyler Glass now. Now, if you ask me about Tyler Glass now, I think he's a uber talented. I, I think what the Dodgers gave up and signed him for is kind of insane given what his production has ultimately been. So I don't know that you could say the Rays are better, but the Rays are the Rays and they are always around. Um, the Red Sox are are weird. I don't know what the Red Sox are doing. They're They're moving stuff around. I don't love their team right now. So I still think like, to me, it feels like the Orioles division to lose. Um, and then they're right there with the Yankees and and the Rays. You know, I, I just it's it's right there. And it just it's. You just hope everything works out. Um, it's not to say that these young guys can't all work out, but it's just a lot to put on their plate. Now, what I will say is I think Elias enters these seasons sort of with the view that I just want to get through April and May and then I'll find out what I have. I don't think he views the season too much longer than that because of what I just said about all these young players. I think he says, okay, let's go into April with, we know our rotation is uh, Bradish, Rodriguez, Means, Kramer, and then throw a random guy out there, get a fan out of the stands. They can pitch fifth. Um, we'll let them throw for two months, provided there's no injuries. Meanwhile, the rest of the league will play out as the, you know, last year we saw the Cardinals, I think, thought 2023 was going to be a year they could win NL Central again. Didn't happen. They made everybody available, including Jordan Montgomery. Montgomery goes to the Rangers, becomes a, a, a crucial part of a team that bounces back from the grave and wins the World Series. Um, and then on the offense, and, and there could be somebody like that available by the time July rolls around that we are unaware of right now. It's not, the Orioles don't have to get Dylan Cease or Jesus Lazardo. There will be, or there may be, there will be um, other options out there. On the offensive side, I think it's not necessarily looking at outside options, but it's saying, okay, we'll go in April. I know I've got Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins. I think Jordan Westberg's going to play a bunch more. And based on our internal data, he's going to be uh, this level of competent. Um, 
Maybe Jackson Holiday makes the team out of opening day. I kind of think he won't. I think they would rather him go to AAA for a little bit because, again, what I'm saying here, which is the Orioles don't need to win the – they don't need to win the division in April and May. I think you can lose it in April and May. As we saw with the Rays last year, you're not going to win it in April and May where you go, whatever, 15-0, and 15-1 to start the season, whatever it was. So you, you say, okay, we're we're pretty good. Now what do we need? Okay, we need more power in right field. What's Kobe Mayo doing? Or, or we need more power in left field because I assume Santander, Kerstad are going to play some right field. Say we need more power in left field. Austin Hayes has missed some time or he's just not living up to what he did in 2023. All right, what's Kobe Mayo doing down in AAA? Oh, he's, he's slugging 900 and he's hitting a home run every three days. Like, ooh, maybe Kobe Mayo is ready for the jump. Okay, let's bring Kobe Mayo up. Let's give him some time in left field. All right, he's struggling right away. He's struggling just like we kind of thought he would. He, you know, he's a he's a player that the he was kind of viewed as raw coming out. He's refined himself a little bit, but obviously coming up to the big leagues is not the same as playing in, in Harbor Park in Norfolk. So he's struggling, but that's okay because Gunnar Henderson is crushing it down at third base. He's having a hot month in June. Uh, Adley's still hitting like the best catcher in baseball. Um, Jordan Westberg is, has really come on as, has been hitting better than average, an average second baseman. So we can deal with a lack of production in left field right now while Mayo gets his feet wet because we've got above average, above average hitting at catcher. We've got above average hitting at second base and Gunner is playing like an MVP candidate. So we can deal with Mayo being below average for June. And then July comes Mayo's figured himself out. All right, what else do we need? All these guys, okay, Westberg's maybe returned to normal. He's hitting, you know, he's got a, a 98 WRC plus, which is probably right about an average for a second baseman in the big leagues. All right, what else do we need? Uh, all right, Jackson Holiday, he's just like destroying AAA pitching right now. Like we kind of need to get him up right now. Um, okay, Ramon Urias, he's not doing a whole lot right now. Mateo, is Mateo even viable against left-handed pitching right now? Like, do we need to start him every day? All right, let's make the call. Let's go get holiday in july hill plug into shortstop henderson's the everyday third baseman westberg's the second baseman um and now holiday has all of july to to get his feet wet and then at the end of july hey the trade deadline so if we need something at the end of july i can go get it i can go i can now that i know my infield is set i'm confident in westberg at second i'm confident in holiday at short joey ortiz is now expendable now, have you waited too long on Joey Ortiz? Has he maybe gotten discouraged and he's having a bad season at AAA? Maybe. But I think in that scenario, they're saying, okay, our infield is like set. Yeah, we'd love to have Joey maybe come up as our utility guy next year because we're probably not going to have Mateo or Urias. But we could go get a utility guy for a million dollars probably that's going to do, you know, provide similar value to Joey given the, the limited role that that would be. And we can trade Joey for... um a number we can package him with somebody else to get that number three starter. We were wanting now that Shane Bieber's only got three months left. The guardians aren't asking for as much. So let's just go get him. Let's plug him in. Now, now is Bieber is current day Bieber. Um, excuse me. As good as Bieber from three years ago. No, but he can do a job. He's pitched in the playoffs and we just gave up a guy that wasn't going to have a big role for us. Plus, Kyle Stowers, another guy, maybe not going to have a big role for us, that they can go play for Cleveland every day. And now we've got our, our answer for the 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 postseason, and maybe we can talk to Beaver about an extension. You know, I think that's kind of how Elias is viewing stuff, is 
we don't need to be prepared for September or October right now. We need to be prepared for April and May and we'll figure out the rest of it. Um, now, what I just laid out is kind of like a perfect situation, though, where you're not having injuries. You are getting these young guys to bounce back from early struggles or not have struggles at all, which is certainly not a guarantee, as we saw with Kowser last year. That's amazing if that works out. And you hope the Orioles have internal data to suggest, like, this guy is going to be okay. He can handle these elements of big league pitching that he maybe is not seeing in AAA as much. He can handle those. That's in a perfect situation. And again, it's it's not necessarily setting the up setting up the Orioles to be the best they possibly can be in 2024, but it is setting up the Orioles to be long-term viable and competitive. And I think that's something as a fan we have to wrap our head around compared to how Mike Elias views stuff is Mike Elias, I don't think is looking at things in one year increments. He's looking at it in terms of a team building and an organizational philosophy that as a fan is frustrating because it never feels like you are putting all the chips in for any individual year. And it's because you're not, but um, it it does create a, a, a year after year competitive situation, which is exactly what John Angelos has said he's wanted. He's wanted to emulate the Rays. He's wanted to emulate the guardians of the guardians haven't been quite as good just recently, but in general, it's these teams that he says are smaller market that can be competitive without ever really going all in. Now that I don't find that to be the optimal way. I think I would rather have a world series and then five losing seasons right after that. And maybe that's just because as an Orioles fan, I've endured way more than five losing seasons and I haven't even gotten the world series. So give me the world series at least, but obviously from the, the Ivy league brain that the Ivy league brains that run a lot of these teams is it's not all about reaching the mountaintop. It's kind of just about like circling the summit a little bit. And then one of us gets to go up and see the mountaintop and then comes down and tells us how amazing it is. But is it that much more amazing than just right here at the summit, which is, you know, a hundred feet lower, probably not right from their, from their perspective in terms of uh, finances and, and job security and all that stuff. Like, is it that much better? I, I don't know. It's, it's just not, it's a different business than like football where I think in the NFL, the ultimate goal is to get that Super Bowl. And I think every team, not every team, most teams are trying to get to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl. I don't know that every team is like actively trying to get a World Series every year. They're just trying to be competitive every year because that gets you fans in the door, that gets merch sold, that gets TV rights higher because people are watching. That's sort of what it's all about. Now, I, this has gone off on a, on a whole different tangent than the Orioles lineup, but I do think it's related and, and it explains why Thoreau's are okay to stay internal and not make these trades of Austin Hayes, which we've talked about in the past. They've never pulled the trigger on Anthony Santander trade. It's a lot of like, don't, you know, what's, there's some phrase out there about don't let the, don't let the good be the, or don't let perfect be the enemy of, of great or something like that. That's kind of the Orioles philosophy for team building, which, you know, as, as I think we saw with the Rangers last year, the Rangers weren't a great team in the regular season and then you got to the postseason and they just had the secret sauce to go all the way and I, I will say related to the to the lineup discussions part of that secret sauce was having a ton of power up and down the lineup I think the Orioles as currently constructed don't have that they don't have crazy power throughout but if all these things work out the way I'm talking about you do see a scenario where they do have all that power you know I don't know if they have it in 2024 because I just you don't I don't think you view a rookie 
as a source of power right away. I think that's a trait that tends to happen a year or two into your career. So I think it more sets up the 2025 or 2026 Orioles to be a power focused team. Um, But that said, it does set up the 2024 Orioles to be very good and very competent. And you never know. You never know. It, it, and I, I do believe that if there was some, if, if Pete Alonzo, which is, I think is a fine example. If Pete Alonzo was available at the 2023 tread deadline and the Orioles thought they could get good value for him, you probably are going to package up a Ryan Mountcastle because it's sort of a surplus to needs at that point. Package up a Ryan Mountcastle who's got years of control plus a prospect or two that you maybe lo- like but don't love. And now you've got Pete Alonzo on an expiring contract to power you to the playoffs and give you a little bit more than what Ryan Mountcastle gave you. Um, all theories, nothing based in reality or or reporting or anything like that. Just me yelling into a microphone. Um, but I think that that got out kind of all I was saying about the Orioles offense, which is it's good. I get why they haven't necessarily addressed it this offseason or not even addressed it, added to it this offseason. They're not going to add to it in any significant way this offseason. I think all the solutions are going to come internally. And then when the trade deadline gets here, um, I am anticipating if the Orioles don't get an arm this offseason, which they probably won't, they will get a noteworthy arm at the deadline and they could get a supplementary bat at the deadline. That shouldn't cost too much is, is my expectation right now. I'm probably a, a, maybe a bullpen arm or something if they need that. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I wanted to cover. It's, you know, it's kind of a weird topic that, you know, the it's not a weakness. The Orioles have a good lineup. I think it could be better, but I don't think that the the ways that you go about getting it better immediately is a route that Mike Elias wants to take or even that he necessarily needs to take. I think a lot of the solutions can come internally. It's just going to be a slower burn, and I think it just does not set the 2024 Orioles up to be the best they possibly can be. But I, I think it is a sign that Michael Ice is sticking to his guns here. Like, this is my plan. And you know what? I got us to be competitive probably a year early in 2022. I got us to 100 wins in a division title in 2024. Nobody thought I was going to do that. So who's to say I can't stick to this? Maybe get a few breaks. Maybe maybe get better value on some deals than people are expecting right now. And we can win a World Series. But I'm not going to sell out everything I believe in to make that happen. And, you know, he, he gets the benefit of the doubt for right now. He gets the benefit of the doubt. I think the only thing I'm still waiting to learn from Elias is if he is ever willing to part with his prospects of note. Um, I know he did trade Daryl Hernays last year to get Cole Irvin, but that was certainly a different tier of prospect. Although good, had a good season in the athletics um, minor leagues uh, system, certainly a different tier than, than some of the names that have been kicked around this year. So We'll see. I, I think he will eventually need to do that to really push the team over the edge. And if he's not, um, that's going to be frustrating. But like I said, he certainly deserves the benefit of the doubt. He's all the all the levers he's pulled over the last four or five years have been perfect. I mean, you, I didn't love how awful the team was for two years there, but um, I, in retrospect, you get it. And and right now it's worked out. You just hope we can uh, climb that mountaintop at some point. But yeah, I think that covers it all. Um, so before I get out of here, just want to reiterate to support the show. You know, we really appreciate you all listening and, and watching. We are available on YouTube. If you could head over there and give us a subscribe, it's free. 
Uh, we'd love to get to 100 subscribers before opening day. I think we're in the maybe in the 60s or 70s it's somewhere right now. So we'd love to get to 100 uh, in the next you know month and a half or or two months. We're a little over two months away from opening day. So we'd love to get there. Um, obviously, subscribe to the podcast in audio form wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We are likely there. Um, you can also subscribe to the newsletter, uh, thewarehousepod.substack.com. I've definitely fallen behind there in terms of getting the audio versions out via the newsletter. So we might be shifting some stuff there, but still give us a follow over there and they'll get some written content throughout the season. Please give the podcast a rating and a review. Five stars would be amazing. That helps us get to more people. If you've got any issues with the show and stuff you don't like, or maybe sound quality wasn't good, or you couldn't get it on your preferred podcast app or whatever it may be, uh, please just email us, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. We're happy to answer any questions you've got and any criticisms there. Um, and yeah, follow us over on X at the Warehouse Pod and on threads at the Warehouse Pod. We uh, had a lot of fun interacting with everybody last year. Uh, Eli tends to handle the Twitter. And I think I'm going to try and handle the threads this year. It's uh, better for my brain. There's not as much going on over there just yet. So give us a follow over there and we'll keep you in the loop with our episodes and talking Orioles and all that stuff. But I think that about covers it. I really appreciate you all listening. This has been the warehouse podcast. Uh, I've been Tyler and thanks for listening.